All right, let's get going. All right, welcome to another week here on Twitter Spaces. I am your host, Texans Cap, or you can call me Cap for short, or TC, here on Cap and Trade. Uh, We have returning guest Aaron Reese of The Athletic with us. He covers the Houston Texans for The Athletic. He's been with them for a couple, three years now. Uh, Aaron's been on, this will be Aaron's third third uh third time on the show with us so thank you as always to for him to set aside some time for us if you're new to new to this show you know it's kind of a listener driven show we do have some talking points at all that i'll sprinkle in and get us going with and then but we're happy to try to take some questions throughout the show mix them in anything you want to talk about whether it's the texans anything across the league salary cap contracts you know pretty much anything on your mind related to the nfl but we'll try to get to as many questions as we can. We have set aside about an hour for tonight. Um, there's a mic icon in the bottom left of your screen on your device that'll provide you the option to request for speaking rights. I'll try to call out your name beforehand before I call on you and before I send over the speaking rights. And uh, like I said, this is a, if this is your first time listening, joining us, welcome. And if you're a returning guest, I see a lot of uh, familiar names, so I appreciate you all coming back. And with that, let's get going. Aaron, how's it going tonight, sir? Uh, it's good. I uh, spent an extra day in Florida, flew back today, so it was a nice uh, nice trip out there. Uh, and glad to have the week off, or mostly off. Yeah, that's right. It's the bye week. We get a few extra days of uh, no Texans news for, for a little bit, which isn't a horrible thing, but, you know, we're it's the bye week. Everybody needs a little bit of break. I'm probably not even going to do one of these next week so it'll be a welcome break for me as well but uh so last week texans went against the miami dolphins came up on the losing side again so eight, eight straight losses a lost 17 to 9 so what are kind of your overall thoughts on the on the dolphins game uh i uh one of the ugliest football games I've ever watched. I would start there. Uh, probably uh, worst NFL game I've ever watched. I was trying to think. I was talking with uh, Sarah Barshaw from ESPN during the game of what other game we've both covered that may might have been worse, like a more disappointing, worst performance by Texans. I thought maybe that game against Denver in twenty what was it nineteen, uh, where Drew Locke just kind of let him up and. Uh, and they got smoked like a week after beating uh, the Chiefs, or like you know, pretty soon after a big win, uh, was up there. But this, this I think was worse, just because, um, you know, like I, I think everyone knows. Obviously, the Texans were not going to be good. Uh, I think most people would have expected if you said, "Oh, they're one and eight uh, at the bye." I don't think if you had told me that before the season, I would have thought that that was preposterous. Um, I think that I. Just probably because the way everything shapes up, the fact that they were so not competitive in a lot of these other games, and then this is kind of their best chance to win a game before they go into a bye. Not even two is not even playing. Uh, the defense forces five turnovers. You get Tyra Taylor back, and to still lose anyway, uh, I think is just kind of a. It felt like a a new low point for this team, and kind of like somehow failing to meet pretty low expectations. So on that rosy note, that's what I would say. I, I took away from the game. Well, it's unfortunate. Well, you weren't, I guess you weren't uh, really covering the Texans during the 2013, uh, 14 game losing streak. So we had some pretty rough ones during that time as well. Um, you know, kind of one of the first things I wanted to touch on was, was Coley again, 
having another or actually two, in my opinion, coaching decision issues. One, kicking the field goal down 11 from the one-yard line. And then I think, I can't remember what part of the game it was, but he burned a timeout when the team was on the, their own two just to save a one-yard penalty. And, again, I mean, it's it's the same old thing. You know, oh, you know, I made a mistake after thinking about it and going back and looking at it. I probably would have made a different decision kind of thing. And it, that, that, that explanation can only go so far. At some point, we've got to see him making some proper decisions during the game time and not let his emotions get the best of him. And we just haven't seen it yet. And I don't know if that's going to come with time for him or if it's, if what we see now is what is what we're going to get with Coley for presumably the rest of 2021 and, and likely 2022 at the most at this point is what it seems like. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think, uh, I don't think there's much reason to think that he will, uh, evolve from some of these things, you know, like I, I was thinking more about it that, you know, like he got after kind of we all crushed him earlier in the season when he uh, punted from what was it like the Carolina thirty-eight or something like that. You know, um, the the next week or I think it was the next week. I lose track of the time at this point, but uh, you know, then they, they go to Buffalo and he goes for it on fourth down very early in the game, right? And I I, I thought maybe at the time like oh he's he's kind of uh, evolving here. Um, or he is learning, but I think, he, you know, then he backtracks. And, and I think what's interesting about it is that um, there's just not a lot of consistency with the decisions, you know, like he, he's pretty aggressive on one hand and then he's more conservative on the other. I mean, the most consistent thing you would say is that he is generally conservative, but like from one decision to the next, within a singular game, sometimes it doesn't really track. And I think what that shows is, uh, you know, Nick Casario said a lot about kind of the season has to be about process over results, but a process-oriented approach to that would be having some consistency, right? And like uh, the offense has not played well today, and you just feel like you got to get some points, and you can keep it within one score by kicking. But you know, the, uh, if you stick to a process, and the process says you would go for it on the one-yard line on fourth down, which I think pretty much any team would, uh, and you don't do it, it kind of shows like just like truly going by feel like he has said he's doing so i mean i think he's being honest there but i think so long as that's kind of the way he thinks about these things and approaches these things there's very little reason to think that kind of he's going to uh improve or change you know i mean he he talks about um it's not to say kind of like that it's it's solely a matter of even just like you got to trust the numbers and and solely focus on the numbers I, i get that it's more complicated than that but he talks about these things kind of in a pretty uh dismissive manner like or you know he sits in the meetings and he's aware of what people talk about but at the end of the day, I trust more of my gut, right? Like, it's not kind of I'm, I'm weighing this against this other thing. Uh, the way he talks about it is more like I, I ultimately disbelieve in what I believe. And so I, I, that's not as much as you want to maybe admit you made a mistake the next day. That's not a great sign of someone who's willing to grow. And like you said, I mean, admitting it the next day in hindsight when, you know, people kill you for it for 10 hours before your next press conference is not the same thing as kind of recognizing it, growing from it, and moving on. And I think it's, it's tough because there's like – you know, there's so many variables that go into these decisions. I think to prepare someone for this job um, on the fly while they're doing it uh, is pretty hard, and and it's magnified by the fact that he is, uh, you know, he doesn't provide the team an edge as a play caller. Yeah, and it and we mentioned this, I think, back when uh, Seth was on. I mean, they they have somebody who authored a a a good good paper on this topic on aggressiveness of fourth down. I mean, uh, Weller Ross, who works for the Texans, he did one of his graduate papers on this topic 
and it's just interesting like you said it and i think we had said the same thing about four or five weeks back that there's just no consistency in the in the fourth down decision making and it's going by the gut is just in this day and age with the amount of information that is made available to these teams and the amount of information that they're able to generate themselves going by the gut all the time is just not the way to go. I mean, there are times where going, going with emotion, going with momentum, that, that will play a role. But at the end of the day, we have enough information to make an informed decision. And a lot of times his decisions does not align with that with what the numbers are saying. So it's another week, another week of he did this. It's another week of gosh. And like we, like you said, and pretty much same thing I'm kind of leaning towards is I don't know that we're going to see any improvement from that. And that's a very frustrating thing to absorb and to think about that. It, what we have from Coley today is what we're going to have for the foreseeable future. And with that, it, do you think he's back in 2022? Uh, you know, I think right now I'll just say yes, just because I think that it's too early in the season for them to really have like a serious discussion about it. They're not, there's no need to fire mid season. Right. Um, but I did think that the Dolphins game was kind of the first time where you got to be like, okay, you can't cut this guy slack for, uh, the schedule. Right. I mean, this is the, this is the a very easy or, you know, one of the soft opponents are going to play all year. Maybe the softest. Um, and so I think that these other games that are viewed as somewhat winnable, uh, become very important. Uh, you know, can can he beat the Jets? Can he beat um, who else am I forgetting now? Can he beat the Jaguars again? You know, like those sorts of things matter because I think that, um, like I said, everyone knew that this team was going to be bad. I don't think it's about just being bad. It's the degrees of bad they are, and that they are just kind of downright non-competitive. And that obviously falls to more than than just the coach. And you know, Nick Casario. Uh, deserves, you know, deserves to share criticism for the roster he built and then kind of maybe the thing where it's fallen short. But at the end of the day, this team did build a roster with a lot of veterans in hopes of at least instilling some competitiveness. You didn't argue that they picked the wrong veterans, um, but you also can't, it's pretty clear that you have a coach who doesn't really give them any edge and who doesn't seem um, to be aware kind of, of, of just what he is dealing with. I mean, and I know that He's not going to just be completely honest when he's staying at a podium, but you know, you say stuff like um, trying to win now, right? I mean, that's just like it, it's kind of out of touch with just where things are at. And you think about um, that really conservative decision to go uh, to kick the field goal or other conservative decisions. It often feels like he is uh, playing or coaching so the team doesn't embarrass itself rather than kind of playing to win. And you you think about like the Lions are you know haven't won a game yet, but I don't I don't sense that people will talk the same way about. Uh, Dan Campbell, and I think because people can see that the team rallies around him, they believe in him, and that he's at least kind of been competitive in some games he's not supposed to because he takes risks. He knows kind of he has self awareness of what he's up against. Uh, it's interesting to me that Cully, you know, one of the times he was aggressive when he went for it on the, the fourth down first series against Buffalo, he says, you know, that you're not going to beat that team by kicking field goals. Yet on Sunday, he says, you know, you're not going to win many games by kicking field goals. But I felt my team just needed the points in that situation. And in the, yeah, it's part the, of the it's part the of the contradictory of, behavior and explanations that we just see. Right, right. Out. And there's and there's no um, and you know and I think it speaks to a, a broader sense of lack of awareness, right? Like, okay, sh- technically, yeah, you can keep the field goal, you stay within one score, but that you still knew you needed to. You knew at that point when you're making the decision, the team needed a touchdown. 
what based on not just the evidence of that one day, but the broader evidence of, you know, the season, the fact this team has not scored a touchdown on the road since week two, admittedly some of that was with a different quarterback, um, but still has not scored a touchdown on the road since week two. What gives you a sense that you're going to have a better opportunity of scoring a touchdown when you're at the one yard line in the fourth quarter? How many more chances are you going to get that you're going to improve your possibility of doing that? And you think about it, if they do, I think it, maybe they don't, they probably don't get the two point play at least both, but if they, if they score a touchdown, they get the two point play. Um, you know, they get the ball back. There's maybe a little bit of time that they could go down there and get a field goal. If they suddenly had a timeout because they didn't burn a timeout uh, trying to save a yard, if they didn't burn another timeout trying to uh, prevent a delay of game on another field goal, you know, like these little things that um, that falls back on the coach who doesn't have to worry about calling the offense or the defense. And when they're costing them in these games against these teams that they are at least on equal playing field with, um, then it's tough. You know, I think no one thought this guy was probably going to be the coach when the team was ready to win again. I think he's shown that he's really not capable of doing that by the way he manages the game. But um, when you're not just kind of at least holding steady, but you're really causing people to have no reason to tune in if the team is not even going to entertain you for three quarters, you know, or if they can't even beat a game where kind of Tua is out for the Dolphins, then uh, it becomes a lot tougher a question. Team just can't seem to beat Jacoby Brissett no matter which team he's playing for. Right, that's right. He's a, I don't know, he's a little unicorn that gets away from the Texans. So, you know, and, and my thoughts on Coley in 2022 at this point is it almost, for me, it kind of depends on the Watson situation. If that gets sorted out in, say, January, the team will have a much better direct, better understanding of their direction. And I think at that point, they would be more, more opt to make a move at the head coach and make a change. If the Watson situation is still murky all the way up to April, May, up, you know, end of April when the draft comes around, then Coley's probably still going to be here because all the candidates are going to be, are going to be gone or moved on or things like that. So that would be my thought on that. We'll move over to the offensive line. So I went back and looked. This was the fifth straight week of a unique lineup. And out of nine games this year, they've had six unique lineups so far this year. And by unique, it's as simple as that is a different combination of, of the five players who are lining up on the, on the first play of the game. So I'm curious your thoughts on if they keep shuffling out players, and I know some of it's injury-related. Well, yeah, two of them injury-related with Tunsil and uh, Cannon. But, you know, the drop-off or the changeover between Cannon and, and Heck doesn't seem to be – it seems to be pretty marginal. The difference between Tunsil and Christian's a, a big dramatic difference. But still, as two injury-related and then the third injury-related with, with Britt at the starting center. But – the the offensive line just looked really bad this weekend. You know, the the Miami blitzed heavily and Cole even said that they were they knew they were gonna blitz and they were gonna be prepared for it. Obviously they weren't because it they had Tyrod tie under under pressure quite a bit. I mean they blitzed on forty five percent of his dropbacks and he was under pressure for fifty one of those fifty one percent of those dropbacks. So he was under pressure quite a bit and it wasn't invited pressure. It was Miami bringing six, seven, eight blitzer, you know, eight guys on the blitz and playing basically a, a zero zero man, zero cover back on the backside. So I don't know if the team's going to continue with this swap out thing. 
I keep wondering at what point are they going to bring up Lane Taylor from the practice squad and give him a shot at guard because Sharping is obviously not the answer. McCray is definitely not the answer at right guard. So the next option up from what I can see might be Lane Taylor. They would have to activate, you know, assign him to the 53 man off the practice squad because he's out of elevations. And I don't know if the if the constant shuffling of the offensive line is good or bad, but it feels like it's just making matters worse week in and week out. You know, and this week they had Jimmy Morrissey, who they'd signed off of Las Vegas practice squad. He looks that's a little he looks very small compared to the other offensive linemen. I know centers are generally a little bit smaller, but he looks very small to the rest of the lineup. So wanted to get your thoughts on the offensive line and, and their performance this week and, and dating back a few weeks before that and if you foresee any other changes coming down the road when it comes to the offensive line. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, I think it's certainly been one of the big disappointments of the team. You know, I, I think uh, I didn't necessarily ever like or quite understand the, uh, the cannon trade just considering – uh, what you gave up and that he, you know, he's kind of, it was very clearly just kind of a, uh, a culture setter guy, not so much any sort of long-term play. And uh, it seems like they liked Charlie Heck and, you know, he blocked his blocking Charlie Heck out or he was moving Titus Howard. He, I guess he did both. Uh, this didn't seem like positive moves for the future. Um, that trade has really not worked out. The fact, you know, Cannon obviously is, uh, has been hurt now too. Um, and didn't get to practice really for all of uh, all of training camp either. I, you know, I, but I, but the big disappointments really are, are Howard and and Sharping. Um, you know, Sharping. I, I don't know how much you really could expect out of him, just that he was already kind of a uh, um, benched last year and rotated in and out. But I do I do think a lot of people uh, follow this team kind of pretty low um, a low opinion of, of Mike Devlin, the former offensive line coach. And there was some hope there with, with James Campen, who's pretty highly respected, that he could turn things around for for Sharping and. Uh, he did not do that, and then I obviously Howard's um, move to guard has been pretty disappointing, and um, especially when you consider the guy seemed not like a lead or anything, but pretty solid middle of the pack sort of right tackle. Um, so to move a guy who's your last first round pick to a uh, um, a less valued position and him play worse there uh, is just kind of bad all the way around. Um, but so yeah, I think I, this team, this whole season, right, is about finding guys who are kind of. Uh, building black pieces and and you know obviously Nick Casero's first draft is only five players but you had to wonder who of kind of the previous regimes might stick around and other than John Grenard I mean there really isn't one right I mean Titus Howard I used to think would be one of those guys but if he's a guard and they have to now pick up a fully guaranteed fifth year option and you know better than me Troy but I think it could be what like 12 million or something like that and that, that's pretty expensive for a pretty below average guard um i so you know if they don't pick that up and then he's not around past next season uh lonnie johnson doesn't seem like a guy who's really proven himself to be a, a long-term keeper um they you know they traded away charles menahue so there just really aren't many guys from this uh this previous regime who uh who are going to stick around and and you know I, I obviously we didn't expect a lot of them but i thought maybe at least titus maybe at least omenahue uh and it looks like probably both of them won't be a part of it grenard is a bit of a surprise for me yeah we i was tweeting back and forth with uh bill goes by at at the reliant and i think my my comment back to him on that topic was is i think you can count on one hand the number of players that will be that are currently on the roster will be here in in 2023 two years out that you can count them on one hand and you know that's like you said that's grenard that's probably blacklock that's probably charlie heck nico collins 
Roy Lopez. And that's probably about it. And <laughs> Yeah, that might be. And, you you and don't think Davis Mills is around in two years? Oh, well, I forgot about Davis Mills. He's he's just going he should be a good career backup quarterback for this backup. team. So, yeah. So you need two hands. So you, you got seven players, but none of those guys, I mean Grenard, he's he's flashing, but he still has some things to improve upon. He's he's making his flashes, but he's still not that complete player. And, and of course, this is year 2 and we don't expect that from them. But when you think about it, those seven players, that doesn't instill a whole lot of excitement. I mean, none of those guys are just top-tier, great foundational building block players. I mean, they're all they're they're good, solid players and some and potential to be foundational players. But today, it, the the future is looking very bleak when it comes to. Uh, <laughs> 2020 i mean 2022 and 2023 i mean 2022 they only have 26 players under contract they'll sign some guys to futures at the end of the year from the from the practice squad so maybe maybe 40 players right after the right after the futures are signed but i can already think of four or five players that are that are probably going to be due to be released before the new league year starts so i mean it's going to be another another busy off season I mean, we'll have a he'll have a bigger draft class, you know, especially if he gets additional picks for Watson. But it, yeah, the future, like you said, is is just very unknown. This roster, we already had a big a big roster churn on this year, and it's going to continue into next year and into twenty twenty three. And that's twenty twenty two is going to be the first year where we really start to see the building blocks make it onto this roster. If I had to guess, and with yeah, that, yeah, and I think that. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think that's important to consider when you make the conversation about Cully, right? Of what is it kind of, uh, what message is it send? What coach are you going to get? Who's willing to come in if you kind of, you give this guy one year um, with the setup that he had when you talk about how kind of bleak the roster outlook is. And also the fact that, um, you know, this team is uh, kind of two years away from maybe even starting to really worry about, you know, contending and what you're building towards. So it, is it really worth bringing someone else in here to kind of take all those lumps for another year and dampen enthusiasm around another coach before things can even really get started? Uh, you know, I, it's 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 complicated. I I think the guy has been it's it's possible for both things to be true and that David Cully has been worse than I thought he was, and also to say that he probably was never set up to succeed. Yeah, and that I mean that's a fair point. I mean, I I mentioned that the situation with Watson might be a, a major determining factor for Coley in 2022, but the point you bring up is, is completely valid as well Is a, you may not have very many people that are willing to take on this roster in 2022 as a new head coach. So, you know, we'll see, you know, and from there it's a, it's a tough call. I still think at this point in time, like you, I mean, it's too early to say, but it seems like all indications would say that Coley's back in 2022 and you continue the rebuild, continue the roster turn in and continue on with that on 2022. I wanted to look at quarterback Tyrod Taylor. I'm having trouble. And this, this Pat, this past weekend's performance made it quite difficult, but I'm having trouble envisioning him here in 2022 and what, his replacement or what the other options are are not any more of an improvement than what Tyrod is from my opinion. I mean, it maybe you have someone like a Jimmy Garoppolo that 
Casario may want to bring in instead of re-signing Tyrod Taylor, who knows. But do you think Tyrod is an option for 2022 based on what we've seen so far? Um, I mean, I think at the end of the day, we are value. We're still evaluating eight quarter or what is it? 10 quarters of, of him in this season. I think that, uh, that game against Miami probably is the outlier with his worst game of his career by EPA for drop back. Only the second time he's ever thrown three picks. It was a weird game. Like, to, uh, and, and probably right now it's, it's easy to be like, Oh, he should definitely not be back. Um, I think you know whenever he get whenever we're able to evaluate the whole season, my guess is it probably will look like his numbers from past seasons, maybe a little dampened by uh, the supporting cast around him and and kind of um, an offense that maybe hasn't been built as much around his legs to, to the degree that I thought it would be. Um, but you know, I, I think it just depends ultimately on what the Texans think of the the other backup or the other um, the other rookie options in the draft, which I think also ties into whether you would feel the need to go with a new head coach. I think if you felt like you had a quarterback you really wanted, maybe. Maybe you'd pair him with the offensive mind and head coach that you want to kind of be the, the, the marriage for the future. Um, but if you're willing to wait on the quarterback, then there's another reason maybe to wait on the head co- new head coach. Uh, as for Tyrod, I mean, <coughs> excuse me. I think like you uh, said, I, I don't know if there's necessarily a, a better option or a sexier option. Uh, that's going to get people a lot more excited. If anything, Jimmy Garoppolo and another Patriots connection <laughs> may feel more upset. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, it's, I think if, if kind of the results continue to be ugly like this, it's tough to maybe want to bring back a guy who's the main quarterback for a one-win team. But I don't know if there are necessarily um, a bunch of better options. I do know that, I mean, the Texans do view Tyrod as kind of a good presence to have around uh, during this time. Their opinion of him in that sense has not changed. But just a matter of how much value they put on that versus who else is out there. Yeah, and yeah, that that's a very point. And at this, you know, I, I kind of want to see maybe like another two games. I mean, I know Coley's already announced that he's going to be the starter against against the Titans after the bye week, which kind of, I guess, shouldn't surprise me, but it surprised me that that it came out that quick with with the the announcement. But I think you you get another two games, and at that point, you can make a decision. It, let's just say they they lose the next two games with with Tyrod at the quarterback. At that point, there's nothing to gain with playing Tyrod the rest of the season versus playing Mills and getting a further evaluation on him. Because the team was, I think Casario said it as well. The team wanted to let Mills come off the field, reevaluate and and start to see what the game looked like after experiencing it firsthand, then come back off to the sidelines and experience the game over there as things start to slow down with him. And then maybe that's the opportunity to bring him back onto the field. Cause unless, unless the Titan, the Texans beat the Titans and, and can and win a couple of games. I, I just don't see any reason why you would continue to play Tyrod at this point. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree. I think uh, I've kind of been early on that saying that he, they should go with Mills. And admittedly, sometimes I probably, uh, write a little more in the vacuum and, and don't consider or shouldn't, don't weigh as much as the coaches do kind of the, uh, the human aspect of this managing kind of a lot of emotions in the locker room. And I think from that standpoint, yeah, it makes sense to go back to Tyrod. The guy played really well until he was hurt. Uh, he didn't do anything to lose the job. Uh, it's pretty early in the season to say we're going to play the inferior quarterback. Um, but you know, if he loses two more games, he has one of those games and has this game like he did against the dolphins. 
Uh, I think it's, you know, it's not as tough of a sell to the rest of the locker room or the group can get it, especially as you get later in the season. And, you know, I've thought kind of Mills would at least finish out the season for what you said, kind of they can get a further evaluation before they go into the offseason, figure out what they want to do. I don't think this is the the, um, the foremost thing or even particularly likely that he would play so well that it would matter. But there probably is some benefit, too, to just, like, play on the end of the season. And even if you ultimately decide – uh, he's probably not going to be a guy or, you know, and we don't feel super attached to him. Uh, what if he plays well enough that, you know, some team is willing to give you a, a, a third and a, and a sixth round pick for him or something? You know, I, I, again, I don't necessarily know if that is guaranteed to happen, but you, know, you at least give the chance for him to kind of improve his stock. Uh, and he just can become a little bit more of an asset, if nothing else. Yeah. And I mean, I think at this point, like I said, and we're, we're in agreement, so we'd let him see a few more, but I wouldn't be shocked if his numbers continue to kind of flatten from compared to the first six quarters and start to flatten and him, his numbers and mills numbers kind of will start to mesh and align pretty closely to where you won't see much of a difference between their performances. Uh, moving to the other side, the defensive line, you know, the fence, the defense, this is probably one of the best graded defense efforts from, from a PFF standpoint, looking at their numbers, you know, Majority of the starters graded 75 or above. You know, Jacob Martin, um, he had a you know very good game. Neville Hewitt was graded very high. Jaleel Johnson, Roy Lopez, Malik Collins, Grenard, Walker, everybody received very good grades. There was a lot of pressures. It seemed like we saw a lot of pressure from various players, not just from the edge, but they came in from the outside, came in from the inside. But, you know, we saw another – Another shakeup on the back end, you know, with Eric Murray playing this time and Lonnie Johnson getting relegated to special teams. I don't even, I don't even think he played a snap on the on the defense this time, which is just very surprising. And they he did con- not zero yeah. snaps on defense. And it, they continue with Desmond King on the outside. And I keep hearing weird things about Desmond King. I heard he's keep misses keeps missing uh walkthroughs. I'm surprised he hasn't been punished even more after he was uh, one game. But, I mean, it. you know, it, I think there's positives from that defensive front, but, you know, the scheme still yields those, you know, with the, with the safeties playing as deep as they're playing, they're still going to have that middle of the field, middle of the field openings, you know, down the seams. Cunningham, with the, with the injury of Kirksey, Cunningham got to see majority of the snaps at a linebacker. He didn't come off the field for sub packages like he was before, and he's his his efforts in coverage are are, are to be desired, or you know, less than to be desired at this point. So, what are your overall thoughts on what we saw from the defensive standpoint? Yeah, you know, I, I um, some of these rotations, it's tough. Like I, uh, on one hand, I think you know Lonnie Johnson is. Uh, you know, clearly had some major errors and, and had also had some interceptions and that he is uh, a younger player at least and, you know, maybe prioritizing continuing to play the younger players. But, um, you know, I, I think it's some, there's also the standpoint of if the, this this group just really doesn't feel like uh, he's going to be part of the future, then I don't know how, I, how much matters. It's, it's harder for me to get worked up about these things than, uh, I, I would earlier in the season because I think everyone has played so poorly that it's 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 hard to say. And you know, any young guy deserves just to play just because he's young at this point. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, obviously, like I said earlier, Bernard has been uh, has been uh, um, 
a boost for this team. I think that uh, he's kind of one of the few bright spots. I, I wrote something in a kind of second half prediction story last week, though, that maybe uh, the, it's a little bit unsustainable what he's doing. You know, I don't know what what he uh, what he's tallied at after this past game if he got any other QB hits. But at least going into this game, you know, he had seven sacks but only eight QB hits, so he only hit the quarterback one other time. And like of the fifteen guys who had six sacks, he had like the 14th best pressure rate so you know he kind of was he was finishing plays at a really high rate which obviously is a credit to him and is a skill but um generally shows to not be something sustainable to be able to do um from week to week it's kind of one thing that got Winnie merciless paid and uh, after a really good start to the 2019 season um so you know he's he's been the bright spot i don't know about if jacob martin necessarily is the guy who's here long term i think he's gonna get he's getting a really good opportunity to play a lot more than maybe he would um on a better team uh, where he might just be more of kind of rotational guy. Uh, I've thought DeMarcus Walker is a pretty solid pickup for them on the interior line. And then like you mentioned, Roy Lopez is one of the guys who I think will be around um, in the future. The secondary is interesting to me. I don't know if um, anyone we're seeing play might necessarily be on this, this team next year. I mean, I think Terrence Mitchell's in our contract for the following season, maybe he sticks around, but I don't, I mean, is there anyone you think like is a, it seems like a lock to stick around on this, on this team next year? I don't, I, from the secondary, I don't really think there is. No, I think, I think, I think Reed's gone. I don't know what they're going to do with, with Lonnie Johnson. It wouldn't shock me just to see him get released or traded on draft day or something like that. And yeah, Terrence Mitchell, I mean, he's, you know, he's just a, a he's putting in that replacement type level of performance. And from there, you know, Tavier Thomas, same thing. And Eric Murray, we know the contract is just not in line with what the performance return is. So I feel like he's a player that, that very likely gets released next year. So with you and Desmond King, I, he's not coming back. I don't think he wants to be here. It, to me, his, he's, no. one of the, he's one of the players. He's, we talk about it week in, week out on here about veteran defectors. And I, I like I mentioned before, I'm, I'm honestly surprised King is still on this roster, given what what's been going or what the rumor is with him on practice field. And so I feel like he definitely does not want to be here. He won't be here next year. So other than maybe Mitchell, maybe Johnson, I don't know anybody else. That, I mean, AJ Moore is not going to be back. They'll let him walk. Tremont Smith, I really don't see anything there. So at this point, yeah, I mean that that whole secondary is going to be probably turned over in 2022 again. And that's just an unfortunate thing. And, you know, you mentioned Jacob Martin. It's, it's interesting because he doesn't really fit the mold of a four, three defensive end. Cause he's, he's a smaller, he's a smaller build compared to what you would see out of a four, three DM, but his, his speed really helps him and his bend really helps him on, on the pass rush. I just, his, his, run defense is to be lacking and that's probably a function of his size so i think that's another player like you said that's probably gone and then kevin pierre lewis just seems like a, a complete fell at a at a free agent signing and he was the only line say that again uh-oh did we lose aaron uh can you get me there yeah we are. no sorry yeah. i hit my uh hit hit my time limit on my, t- on Twitter for the day on my phone. <laughs> uh, but, so, um, Kevin Pierre. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's yeah, the only linebacker got a two year contract, right? Yeah. So it's kinda, um, I hear that that's just a, that he's done like 
I mean, he didn't even play. The, I mean, he, he wasn't even on the field for defense. He played special teams this weekend. Right, without Kirksey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I, yeah, I mean, that that's for Dud. I think probably uh, Zach Cunningham probably be gone in the offseason. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know who, I, other than kind of some of those couple guys, Grenard and Lopez, I don't really know if maybe anyone else is on this defense <laughs> currently who's on the defense. I'm, I'm sure there'll be someone else who sticks around, but. Not many. Oh, maybe maybe Grugier Hill and and Kirksey probably they might bring back if he wants to come back. But um, but of the guys who are currently playing this game on Sunday, probably Grugier Hill, Grenard, Lopez, and that might be it. Yeah, Grugier Hill. I think he he's definitely worth bringing back. Kirksey, I'm I'm still not sold on, and solely majority of that is the fact that he's 31 years old, and you know line, linebackers are the age. You know, kind of hurts him a little bit, not as much as like a skill skill position player, but that's something that would concern me a little bit. And Kamu, he's got all the speed. His his run defense is is very good. He's a sure tackler, and he and he actually does rush the passer very well from that position. So that's a uh, a player definitely would like to bring back, and he wouldn't be too terribly expensive. I mean, it would be it'd be similar to what he's making now, maybe just a slight bump or something like that. Let's see here. So we'll jump over to some questions. I see Chuck. He's got a request in here, so we'll go to him first. And hopefully Chuck can keep it under under 15 minutes. Connecting Chuck. Hey, good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. I uh, appreciate the, the opportunity, Aaron. Thanks, and welcome back uh, again. Thanks, Cap. Um, you know, I, I, I go back and forth, well, uh, with the – well, I shouldn't say that, but I don't think Coley is going to be back next year. And and uh, I just don't – I really don't believe in the fact that – I kind of keep it even keeled with how much of a value a head coach or a manager has on a team in the outcome of games, wins and losses. Um, and it's, it's not so much that you, know, you could go back and say, well, that decision cost a game or the outcome could have been different. I just see a repetitive, uh, I guess – unwillingness is that a good word to to learn from the mistake or the willingness to understand what had happened or to even know what happened in the moment for that decision the snap judgments not the educated decisions not the hey you know what we got a fourth and one what's the next play or two just in case afterwards we convert or not i don't see that talent and he's not going to pick up this talent or this this wisdom within the next few months um and what i'm really surprised that support staff is really pretty doggone good when you look at it you know you got some really good experience uh with pep and and uh on the defensive side as well um with lovey so i mean my 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 overall thought process is is do you really think and and chew on this for a second do you really think in their in their if they do the 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 going back at the beginning of the season do you really think that casario and upper management not say upper management who knows really who's Who's running the court up there? What, did they really think that it would be it, it would have been this bad? Be- and would they have made this decision? Uh, and is this what we picked over Bienemy? Now Bienemy was passed over by a lot of teams. I get that, but is this really what you come to? And if you close the door, and if they really had an opportunity to say, "Hey, we goofed up on hiring this head coach," even though he's for two years, I think they would adamantly say, "You know what? We probably should have passed on this guy because." Next year's draft class with quarterbacks doesn't look good. I envision that that perhaps they're looking in 
forward for another couple of years and maybe we amass all these picks and maybe trade down at the draft. You know, you may get the top five, but maybe trade down, get an extra pick and save it for that quarterback. Because I'm, I'm not seeing two things. Number one, I'm not seeing the, the ability for Coley to be able to handle the new kids that are coming in um, or that are going to be on this roster. Because we could turn over, there could be 15 to 16 draft choices or free agents next year. I don't know if he's going to have the ability to coach up these new kids. So my first my first comment and question is, number one, did they make a mistake with Coley? Would they do it again, in your opinion? Number two, what are we going to do um, in, like I think Cap had mentioned, with Deshaun Watson not being resolved, say, in January? I mean, honestly, I mean, it's time to make a move it, uh, soon afterwards because if you have that draft lined out, you have all these extra picks, Deshaun's gone. I think you want to start over with an experienced coach. Yeah, I think – I think it, it all, for me, it, like I said earlier, it kind of just depends on the Watson situation and how that's, how that's progressing and if there's a foreseeable future with what direction it's going to go, if, if it's settlements, if, it, if it's going to go to court. And if it's going to go to court, it's going to drag out quite a bit longer, like probably a year or two longer. So I think that's one factor in. And, and if Coley really wants to come back for another year, but I, I to answer your first part of it, I don't think the team is – all that regretful in hiring Coley. I think they made a, a very quick decision with him. I think that it th- you know it was definitely an out of left field decision and an out of left field hire that caught a lot of people off guard. And I don't think that they have much regret. Only because I'm not saying that they were. Em- I'm not trying to say they're embracing the tank, but Casario is fully aware of what what this team was going to look like for the next two years. And with that, I think, you know, on top of they're happy to churn this roster over as much as they can, not only this year, but like we said, next year, it's going to be another heavy turnover when it comes to the roster. Given all those factors, I think, I don't think they're that regretful to Cully hire. And I think they knew exactly what they were getting into. Yeah, I think, uh, if anything, maybe some of the amount of game management mistakes are uh, you maybe is is more than people expected. I might be I might be I might be kind of uh, going off my own expectations a little bit more there than, than the Texans. I mean, I think they obviously knew the, the guy's general faults. I um, I think there's definitely validity to the idea that he has always just been viewed as kind of like a, a placeholder. Um, and so it's just a matter of if they could kind of withstand how ugly it would be in, in the meantime. And uh, I, I, that's really, like I said, it, all that comes down to as a question. And, and I, I do think he deserves criticism for it not being as competitive as, as we expected. Certainly some of it is the roster, right? But like all you ever hear from anyone who ever works in the NFL is that, you know, the, the talent margins are pretty thin between one team and the next and that uh, it all comes down to execution and stuff. And, you know, this is a veteran team. Yeah, it's a veteran team full of veteran full of veterans who uh, and penalties are not this team's biggest issue, but they are um, a huge problem for the team. Um, they do have an at a lot of inopportune times. You have a coach who doesn't seem to kind of really uh, be able to work him, them out of it. He doesn't give them any edge as a play caller. He doesn't give them an edge as a game manager. So I, I, I and it's hard to say that uh, you know he's really in culture of competitiveness and getting everybody to work hard. Uh, when they're getting blown out to the way they are, and the fact they can't even beat the Dolphins when they're shorthanded, so I think maybe it's been a little more disappointing than uh, than people could have imagined. 
but, you know, I, I think uh, Troy makes a good point about Watson. It's like, if that's not solved, I don't know who takes the job. And, and I think kind of the, the, the precedent uh, thing, too, of just like, uh, like I said earlier, of like, you know, it, no matter how, how bad it looks, like to only be given one year with this roster um, is got to, you know, hurt the chances of someone else who has other opportunities really feeling interested in, in the job. Well, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of thinking that, you know, there, there are not too many 1-15 uh, coaches that, that can survive in the next year, even with this situation. I mean, you know, of course, expansion years are a little bit different. But, I mean, even when the Texans came through here, Capers had, you know, experience with the expansion team, so he to handle it. It's just, to me, it gets frustrating um, just kind of sitting back. And you know, we're, we're not there, and I get it. We don't have the headsets on. Uh, but it just gets frustrating when you – when you see it and it just makes you think, so what, what, what do the players think about that? You know, what, how are they feeling about this? You know, when you have a head coach that maybe can't make a decision um, quick enough or can pull the right strings or who is pulling the strings. So, and, and that goes back to even like we're talking about Tyrod. I mean, I think I mentioned this before on one of these um, discussions that, I mean, it's a two way street. I mean, Tyrod might not want to come back here. So, I mean, if, if, if you, but my whole, Thing about the Davis Mills is, well, you got oh. Davis Mills under contract. You Davis don't have Tyrod for next year, so you know you, you should probably go ahead and just. Now, I wouldn't say cut your losses to Tyrod, but just be honest with yourself and say, you know, let him play, and because you got him for another year or two, or is it two years? I think it's is it two years with a third year or a third round. Uh, but I mean, you got him. Tyrod might not want to come back, and and he did sign a doggone good contract for a backup. Uh, well, actually, for a starter, no, but for backup. But he can go anywhere he wants, too, right? So there's that, too. So we got to keep that in mind, too. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's a valid concern. Again, I mean, it, I think, like we said in the beginning, I think, and Aaron kind of alluded to this as well, as kind of aligns with your point, Chuck, is I think the, the, the leeway that he had with the fans in week one, week two, week three is all but gone. And it's tough to think about. We still have another nine games after this bye week. So if this doesn't improve anymore or beyond what we saw in the Miami game or, you know, for the last five weeks for that matter, regardless of who's that quarterback, it's going to get really ugly towards the end of this year, not only from a fan base perspective, but how many more players are going to hang tight and be willing to to be a part of this and put forth the effort and keep that I didn't want to talk about culture tonight but keep that culture <laughs> keep that culture going that they're that they've been trying to sell upon I mean we're already we talk about it every week on here about the veterans who who slowly kind of back off of it and you know you saw comments from Kamir, you know Kamir Guja Hill about the you know the 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 Bible studies and the, and the group leadership that they have. And there's a lot of players that are, that are all, all in on what this team is selling. But week by week, I think you might just start to see more and more players. Like before it was Zach Cunningham and Aminahu and players that are no longer here. And we're starting to see it with Desmond King. And he's starting to, uh, starting to become a little bit of an issue off the field. And, you know, it's just going to slowly, slowly progress you know might be more players that you know just can you know view this as like you wasted another year of my career when it comes when it comes to an nfl player's career being so short so regardless of the money that they earn 
So that's going to be for me. That's going to be the tricky, the the most critical part for Coley for the la- back half of the season is trying to keep this locker room together. That's why the that's why the second half of the season, in my opinion, is a lot more interesting than the the first half. Just because uh, these games, it's a much easier schedule. These games should at least be more competitive. So if they are competitive, but he loses them because he gets out coached, uh, it will hit the deficiencies there will be highlighted. And then if they're not competitive, well, then that's still on him because how come he can't even get the team to be competitive in the games that's supposed to be competitive against, right? So I think it's a really critical stretch for him uh, and, and also for Tyrod. Um, and this is why I wrote it kind of after the Miami game. Like, they both have something to prove here in the second half. I, I think uh, Cully has to kind of prove he's, he uh, at least can buy enough goodwill to stick around for another year. And I think Tyrod is kind of playing for his next job, whether it be here or somewhere else. Yeah, I, I don't know, guys. I mean, I'm seeing some some cracks in Coley already with just pressers and things like that, and just the answering. I, I don't know if he's he doesn't have the he doesn't have the cut of the jib, in my opinion. That's why I don't think he's going to be around. But well, you, you never know. Maybe we, we maybe, maybe yeah. We we mentioned that last week that you start to see you're starting to see the the go, the happiness and the all golly juck. Oh, golly gee persona that he had the first part of the season and then preseason and training camp was really starting to see that kind of fade away each week you know in the press conferences and Aaron you're there maybe you give us a little more input on that yeah you know I mean I think he definitely I would still say he's the most like positive uh football coach I've ever been around you know he even when they after the press conferences when they lose by 40 points he walks in there and he's whistling uh, I mean, like that, that's just who he is. I mean, that's, I'm not, yeah, I'm not I mean, saying that's, that's good that's or bad. I'm just yeah, saying, that's, fair. that's who he is. And so he's um, stealing money. That's why. Oh, right? no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's who he is. And so I think that, uh, I think that like, um, I, I do think it has to be hard though. I think that play, I'm sure if I was a player, I would not be happy if I was, uh, you know, the coach chose to go for it on the one yard line and the first game, your team has a chance of winning in, in weeks, you know, um, so I, I just I don't know it's 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 tough but I think the the big thing is that it's not just about and I think you kind of mentioned you you were talking a little about this earlier Troy and I meant to say something is like like you said it's not just about like oh are you willing to kind of uh, adapt to the numbers or something because that's not really what we're talking about with some of these decisions like some of these things are not like oh like twenty years ago this is what people would have done and now it's now it's kind of like the opposite because the analytics, like some of this, like kicking from the one yard line, I think people would have called you conservative for doing that in like 2000, you know, like it's not a, and like choosing to uh, take a penalty. So you don't have to get another play on offense. People would have told you that was dumb regardless of the error, right? Like there's mistakes he's making that are just rudimentary mistakes and he's making them uh, repeatedly. And so I, at some point, like, I think that's why I would say it's worse than, I could have, at least I could have thought it was going to be because, you know, I think we all knew, obviously this guy is not going to be like this ultra aggressive, uh, coach and like in all these forward thinking ways. But I think you, you kind of expect, well, if you get, if you get an NFL coaching job, you at least kind of know you don't give up like an extra play for your offense, you know, or you, you maybe go for the touchdown when you haven't scored a touchdown on the road since week two and you're at the one, you know, like, and if, and if he's not doing those things, then. I do think it is kind of reached the point where if you lose people's faith to a, a pretty harmful degree, that's when the team has to think about if they need to do something else. Chuck, you guys. Well, thank, thanks, else? Cap. No, yeah. thanks, Cap. Uh, thanks for the, the, the show. I love the show, Cap. Keep it up, and uh, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, yeah. Appreciate it, Chuck. Chuck's always 
always here. He's a he's a veteran of of this show at this point. Well, I think that's uh I think I hit all the points that I wanted to hit on Aaron. Do you have anything else you wanted to cover? Uh not not particularly, not that not that I can think about. No, I think uh I think we got most of it. I think yeah, for me, like I think the whole second half of the season really is about kinda uh, is is about Cully now at this point and uh and then to a lesser degree Tyrod really because I think as we go through the roster you can kind of be like all right well I don't really know how much more matters from a performance standpoint because these guys aren't going to be here in a year yeah I mean it's going to be fascinating to see if 2022 and how the how the roster building tactics vary from what we saw in 2021 because it was completely different than what I anticipated and it went against the went against the grain went against the norm so Definitely curious to watch that, but yeah, the back half of 2020, 2021, like you mentioned, are going to be interesting for parts that probably most people outside of the outside of Houston are not going to be watching for, and I think that's a critical piece to keep an eye on going forward. So, you know, I'd, from there, you know, one thing I want to I want to look up when we get off of here. I want to go. I'm going to get on Stathead. I want to see if. If there's been any shorter field goal attempts this year than that one that that Fairbairn had against Miami this weekend, <laughs> that might be the shortest one for the season. Be interesting to look that up. Um, Aaron, I, I appreciate you taking the time again to to join us. Uh, you know, if you, if you don't follow Aaron's work, you know he's been with the Athletic now for a couple three years. You can follow him at Aaron Re- at Aaron J Reese on Twitter. He's very good follow drops in a little sarcastic humor, which I, I completely respect. And, uh, Aaron, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening everybody. Yeah, no, everybody appreciate you taking the time to listen. We'll, uh, get this recorded and, and dumped over to the podcast and get it posted up later this week. And since this is the bye week and there will be no Texans game this weekend, I think I'm going to take myself a bye week as well next week. So unless something, some news drops or something that that brings worth a discussion next week we'll probably take next week off and then resume back after the after the tennessee game so with that you know we'll call it a night and everybody have a good evening i appreciate you everybody joining us have a good night